as a leader, one of the best things you could do is tell a crisis story that you had in your life because the minute you show vulnerability, someone can relate to you. Think of yourself as the startup, right? And, and how are you going to pitch yourself? Because in many cases, that's how the power of persuasion works is through the power of your personality or your stories or your knowledge, you're going to get someone to get on board with you. If you're going to recruit and retain people, you have to have your North Star. You have mm -hmm. to have your future story because you're asking them to go on that journey with you. Mm -hmm. And to go on faith is one thing. To go on a vision is another. I think the best thing you can do is get the hearts and minds of your employees first mm -hmm. and get them behind the vision and that journey and that story that you're trying to tell. And then they are your face of your brand and yeah. they're helping you evangelize because they feel it and they love it mm -hmm. as much as you do. And then in turn, the customer is gonna love it as well. A lot of people know design thinking as a way to prototype, test, iterate a product. Mm -hmm. One of my big takeaways from design thinking was how do you change the dynamic of collaboration? You just heard Jennifer Greenwood, who's been into marketing communications, internal communications, storytelling and design thinking for decades. Most recently, she was a manager at Apple, where she amplified Apple's culture across its over 450 retail stores in 18 plus countries. Today, she turns ideas into stories that matter for clients everywhere with the means of mindful communications and storytelling. It's been a pleasure talking to Jennifer at her place in Mountain View, California, and I hope you'll have a great time listening as well. With all that said, Please enjoy this new episode of the Sparker podcast about the power of storytelling with Jennifer Greenwood. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. It's a pleasure to be at your home. Thanks very much for having me and sure. for like donating your time, your precious time to talk to me and the Sparker podcast. Um, this episode is about the power of stories. And I think when I met you uh, here in uh, San Francisco, I thought you were um, like the perfect person to, uh, to have a conversation with about the power of stories. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe just give us a short um, intro to um, what your story is, mm -hmm. actually. So I've been thinking about this and... If I were to think of a through line through my life, um, it's probably curiosity. And that's what got me to thinking about storytelling as where I want to go next with my career. So um, if I would go way back, I grew up in the Midwest outside of Chicago, very typical 
childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, if you saw any of the movies like Sixteen Candles or Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Home Alone, Home. those movies were actually filmed in my town. And some oh, of wow. those kids were in, in the movies that I grew up with. So there's a reason why John Hughes filmed there. It, it was what you would imagine as a typical American childhood. What wasn't typical is my parents from a very early age instilled in me um, that you need to think about more than just yourself and that there's an impact in the world that you can make. And one of the first experiences was they sent me to an experimental school called Martin Luther King Jr. Laboratory School. That's a mouthful. And it was named after the civil rights um, hero who died, unfortunately. Um, And so from a very early age, I was exposed to different cultures, different conversations, um, and the thought that you should do more than um, just things for yourself, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better phrasing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so (laughs) combine that with I was also very um, fearless and quirky child and um, my favorite um, character when I was a kid was from a book called Curious George, and he was a little monkey. <laughs> and so I thought I was a monkey, and I'd be hanging from trees and um, always hurting myself and just kind of being a curious little person. And um, that also uh, informed my life, as I said um, so curiosity led me to, um, I was very lucky that because my mom was a travel agent, we, we went to a lot of places and I got the travel bug. And so um, in high school, I um, went to an exchange program in Spain. And um, that was the first time I probably understood that it wasn't... Um, that the world didn't revolve just around America, right? (laughs) That there were things going on, lives, people experiencing very different things. And this was um, Spain in a very interesting time after um, Franco died and fascism. And and, uh, I was also there when uh, there was an attempt on Reagan's life. So the, the first huge trauma around, you know, attempted assassination. So, um, travel and, um, going by myself was something I always liked doing. And then um, was always involved in art and um, trying to go through this really quickly. Um, I, again, grew up a very traditional Midwestern childhood, but um, I didn't like doing what other people did. So... Um, like a little I, bit of cont- contrarian? Yes, exactly. Okay. Contrarian. And that probably comes from my dad where it was always the question, well, why that way? Mm-hmm. Who said it have to be that way? Yeah. And um, having the, um, the curiosity to maybe not necessarily challenge, but wonder, you know, mm-hmm. just to wonder. And I loved sitting in that space of just imagination and, and wonderment. And uh, so I um, got into art um, at a very, very early age. Both of my parents are in medicine. And I thought I would be a veterinarian for many, many years of my life and even (laughs) would lure my pets into the bathroom and pretend (laughs) I was the doctor. And 
Um, but art was always in the background. And so when I went to school, I found the most contrarian school possible. Because when you grow up in the Midwest, you're supposed to go to a Big Ten school with a football team and rah-rah with the pom-poms and the cheerleaders. And instead, I found, again, an experimental school in Colorado. There were less than 2,000 students, and we took one class at a time. And it was an immersive experience, and I would take classes like Black Religion in America or uh, Renaissance Music. Um, And my background um, led me to... uh, major in fine art, but the great thing about a liberal arts college is you actually can't take too many classes in your major. Mm -hmm. So I just had all these great experiences. That was really fun. So just going with the flow, being in the moment um, was was a lot of my life. And then um, I thought I wanted to go to architecture school. Mm -hmm. So um, did a summer program at Harvard um, at the Graduate School of Architecture. Um, They called themselves the Graduate School of Design. And came back, yep, I'm going to be an architect. And I interned at an architecture firm. And then just on a competitive uh, streak, um, another woman who was interning uh, applied for grad school. And so I said, I'll apply for grad school. No intention of going, but Mm -hmm. I got in. Mm -hmm. So, oops, I guess I got to go. So I went to grad school. And um, pretty quickly realized, um, maybe not. And (laughs) I remember my dad telling me it rang in my ear that, um, he had gone to school for engineering, but couldn't visualize in 3d. Okay. And I realized I had that deficiency mm, as well. That's an issue. (laughs) It's a big problem. And so I found my way into, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but desktop publishing mm-hmm. and the Mac became mm-hmm. very popular. And I found my way into our, our school's um, journal, the mm-hmm. editorial group. And I taught myself the page layout and started interviewing architects. And we, we did stories. And next thing I knew, I was really into this thing called computer graphics. And uh, Long story short, quit architecture school, uh, went to the Czech Republic to teach English, mm-hmm. and then came what? back. What brought you to the Czech Republic? Oh, okay. So, just um, so there's a story. It. All right. So, um, when I was in grad school, um, we were studying um, urban planning and architecture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the history. And there was a building they showed on the Vltava River. Um, they call it the Moldau um, in Germany and mm-hmm. the United States, but it's the Vlatava River. And it was this gorgeous building. And at the time, I was obsessed with the Bauhaus and the international style. And this building just stuck with me. And we didn't have Google and everything back then, mm-hmm. but I came mm-hmm. to find out it was this amazing building and it just stuck in my head. So that when I came home after realizing I grad school just wasn't for me, so a failed a failed grad student, what am I going to do next? And I read a story about how this um, husband and wife created a, a basically an NGO, um, a nonprofit to teach the Czech people um, English mm-hmm. because they needed to uh, reintegrate themselves into the Western mm-hmm. world and in order to um, have their businesses mm-hmm. um, be in the, in the Western world, they had to learn English. What time was that? So approximately? 1991. All oh, right. It was uh, just after the Velvet Revolution. So mm-hmm. communism had just ended and they were thrust into capitalism mm-hmm. uh, with very little uh, 
resources, <laughs> knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I read this article, I apply, I get in, I fly there. And the funny thing is I get off the train and I couldn't find anything because the checks had quickly changed all the names of the streets. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, they hated that the streets were all these communist names. So mm-hmm. Rudy Armadi was Red Army. That that had changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm crying as I'm walking through the streets <laughs> oh, at 6 a.m. in the morning, not knowing where to go. And somehow I find the place that is my so-called agency that's going to place me. They had no idea who I was. The paperwork never got to them. Wow. Um, they didn't know what to do with me. But they said, hey, let's just go have breakfast and, and we'll figure it out. Well, it's a good thing they lost my paperwork because had they known I was coming, I would have been placed in a very sad, rundown industrial town very far away from Prague. Instead, they kept me in Prague <laughs> and found me a job in a place that was called the Canadian Club, which was a bar mm-hmm. that had popped up as an English school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was called the Canadian Club. Here, here's a story for you. World War II, there were paramilitary paratroopers from Canada with the Allied forces that had come into Prague to try and help save them. Mm-hmm. And so they had this fond memory of the Canadians. <laughs> and so they named a bar after them. So we taught English out of the bar. That's a good place to, yes. to learn English. <laughs> yes. Um, and then it got to be so popular, we ended up going to different places to teach people. So um, I was teaching uh, a brewery and their brewmasters mm-hmm. English because the Bavarian uh, beer laws required that you um, fill out paperwork. And uh, they already knew German, but I guess English was important. I taught art historians. I taught art uh, Uh, doctors, engineers, and and I asked them, well, you all seem to know English. Why? Because they had learned the King's English, British mm-hmm. English, Oxford English, but they said they wanted to learn American English. They wanted to learn the conversational mm-hmm. English. So, And um, wh- why is that? Why did they not want to stick with the Oxford English and rather go for the American Uh, because I think they, this was a while ago, but if I can remember, they understood that, um, The art of conversation was very important um, with negotiations mm-hmm. or um, how to navigate the, the new world. Um, I think part of it was fascination because um, uh, radio um, free um, Europe, you know, mm-hmm. um, different different radio stations or um, records they were smuggling in. They loved country music. <laughs> wow. Random, but just loved country music. So Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash, any, anything they could get their hands on, uh, which quickly became my uh, curriculum mm-hmm. where, where I taught them um, lyrics. Yeah. And, and that's how they were learning English. Burning ring of fire. And exactly. <laughs> uh, one, uh, Patsy Cline was my go-to. Um, so uh, to teach them uh, colloquialisms. So the phrases that Americans use, they just loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one one that I think of is uh, to say no problem, mm-hmm. right? Because if you think about that phrase, that's implying there aren't problems. Mm-hmm. And most of their life, you know, there have been many problems. So that it was like this freeing kind of aspirational language mm-hmm. that they wanted to be a part. I'm, I'm making it, I think, make it sound more magical than it was. But um, 
That's anyway. the power of stories. Exactly, right? Here we go. And so those songs had great stories, right? Many. So, so what I would say, if I could sum up why maybe country music and, and this myth of America was so exciting is um, I've been thinking about how we're different here and, and why we embrace failure so mm. much. And there's some kind of... Um, myth or mystique to the rise fall and then rise again the phoenix yes mm -hmm. and americans love that when someone fails and comes back mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's because of this rugged individualism like daniel boone or the pioneers mm -hmm. but somehow that's hardwired into you as an american that failure is something exciting and mm -hmm. that around the corner, something will be even more wonderful. So maybe that's why they love the songs. Because many country songs are sad if, if, yeah, you, if you take them apart, mm -hmm. right? Especially Ring of Fire. <laughs> Johnny Cash's first marriage, you know, was horrible. And then, you know, he had uh, the love of his life um, through, through an affair but, mm -hmm. um, and what he had to do to get there. Um, but in the end, he was happier, right? So... Um, that was my long way of saying I went to the Czech Republic and then mm -hmm. I came back. And um, so when I came back, it was a funny time because I had had such an amazing experience in the Czech Republic and had left feeling like such a failure from, from graduate school. But I came back to when the Chicago Bulls won mm -hmm. their first championship and Chicago came alive. Such celebration because... Yes, we had a football team that had won once, but Chicago wasn't known for its mm -hmm. winning teams. And Chicago had had s several decades of really bad mm -hmm. things happen. Um, riots, you know, um, factories closing, violence. And so it was coming back to just this new chapter and it was very exciting. So it was a great way to kind of get back into being there. And so what I decided to do was interview a lot of people and ask them, how they had their jobs and what um, recommendations they had for me. And it pretty soon became clear that I wanted to pursue graphic design and I went to back to school. Mm -hmm. So I had an undergrad, mm -hmm. half of a grad program and decided <laughs> to do another undergrad yeah. in graphic design. And a um, couple semesters in, um, started a job at the school itself. And then, um, uh, was asked by my boss at the time to become a, a full-time employee and then so left left college and started my graphic design career. Um, I think I should pay, probably stop there because that's a very long story. <laughs> well, it's amazing what you all, uh, what, what stories you have just from, um, from your life. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, uh, if you would like have to generalize, yes. um, what would you say is, let's say one of the greatest or maybe the greatest story ever told. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I was uh, talking to my husband about this and I was thinking, well, I guess you could say the Bible or Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. um, but if the first thing I like to think, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And mm -hmm. for me, it instantly what came to mind was Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, why? And it's probably because I was steeped in Martin Luther King as a child, mm -hmm. having gone to a school named after him. But also, it's the story of promise of the future. Yeah. 
because when he talks about I have a dream, it's the story of his children and what the possibility mm-hmm. for them could be. Mm-hmm. And that to me, like the optimism there, even though what he was speaking about seemed so far off and impossible mm-hmm. for so many mm-hmm. people, and they had come out from such horrible, horrible violence within a few years of what he was talking mm-hmm. about, um, riots and horrible police brutality, and he had even been in prison. Um, but just that story of what it would be for his children, mm-hmm. the dream he had about that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the best stories are ones that also have a future story. Yeah. And um, there's one thing that comes to my mind. My, my next story is going, uh, question is going to be what... Um, how do you craft um, a great story or what makes a great story right. great? What are the building blocks? Yes. And uh, maybe I want to give it a little um, nudge towards a, a certain direction. Okay. Um, there's um, this uh, author, um, Simon Sinek, yes. with his famous book, Start yes. With Why. Yes. And in his TED talk, he actually um, referenced mm-hmm. Martin Luther King's speech. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it was, I have a dream speech yes. and not... I have a plan speech. Ah, I didn't remember that part. And um, maybe that's something you can you can get into. Um, why do you think has he made this distinction mm-hmm. that it's important that it yes. was a dream and not a plan? Right. I love that. Well, a funny thing is the Silicon Valley is such a funny place that I actually met Simon um, mm-hmm. It's uh, a favorite little diner near here. Mm -hmm. And um, I had just come from traveling the world for business. Mm -hmm. And we used his video Mm -hmm. as an intro for our roundtable discussions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I were going to breakfast to catch up. And I am not kidding. There is Simon (laughs) sitting one booth away from us. Perfect. And I'm the type of person where I have this dilemma. Do I want to bother someone? But Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to say something. Mm -hmm. So I went up to him and said something. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, my gosh. And, you know, I love Mm -hmm. Apple, too. And Mm -hmm. um, It's one of his favorite favorite, um, uh, examples. Yes. So I I had his um, person he was eating breakfast with take a picture of him and I Mm -hmm. so because I was you know to be the hero like that I I had to interrupt him and he didn't seem to mind um but yes so I love that I so if I can back out and say um I have been working with people to help craft stories for quite a while now And I had my own structure in my head, and it was mostly based on gut and emotion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But about three years ago, I decided to start taking classes Mm -hmm. to say, hmm, how are other people doing it? How are, what is their framework? What are they, Mm -hmm. what are they talking about? So one of the first classes I took was one called Visual Story, Mm -hmm. Nancy Duarte. And um, she's quite famous in the Valley. She's helped people like Steve Jobs in Mm -hmm. the past um, with their presentations. And her class, they diagram mm-hmm. Martin Luther King's I yes. Have a Dream. There's a TED talk speech. that shows that as well. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the whole structure she has is what they call what is, what could be, what is, what could mm-hmm. be, what yep. is, what could be, new bliss. Yeah. So that would be something I recommend to everyone is get her book, um, mm-hmm. uh, Resonate. 
resonates. And then she has a new book uh, came out maybe about a year and a half ago called Illuminate, mm-hmm. where they do case studies on famous leaders mm-hmm. and and uh, what what they've done around storytelling is is the broad term. Um, or or I would argue it's the power of persuasion at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could call it presentation skills. You could call it um, pitch decks, whatever. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's the power of persuasion. And, yeah. um, and then I, Ed Catmull came out with a book, Creativity Inc. If you haven't yes. read it, it's perfect. Definitely. It's a very good book. And, and you can find him on um, YouTube. He's been interviewed mm-hmm. uh, actually down the street. Computer History Museum mm-hmm. has a great series that he was at. Um, and then um, Robert McKee, who's a famous Hollywood uh, screenwriter. I took his class recently called Storynomics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been collecting all these frameworks. And then uh, about a year ago, I befriended an um, animation director from Pixar, and we've been talking about this. So this is my formula. And, uh, you know, hire me if you want. <laughs> but basically, uh, th- this is what I, I walk people through is, there's your founding story and many mm-hmm. people leave or your origin story. Many people leave that on the table, so to speak. So if you go to a website and under the about page, mm-hmm. it's only your products or only your feeds and speeds, as we say in the Valley, mm-hmm. but it's nothing about you and why you started. Mm-hmm. Shame on you. Why aren't you sharing that? Mm-hmm. Um, especially where we sit, we are just down the street from where NASA was founded. Yeah. We are just down the street from Google. WhatsApp, the inventor, mm-hmm. <laughs> is from Mountain View. Steve Jobs, first mm-hmm. child at home, right here, right? So mm-hmm. the origin stories are the garages, right? Yeah. Hewlett Packard, um, Apple Garage yeah. are within two miles of here. I don't know how many kilometers, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you can do the math. Yeah, so, sure. um, but founding stories are so much a part of what makes you great, right? So there's your founding story. And then there are signature stories, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be, um, in the case of Apple, the Macintosh, right? Mm-hmm. 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, or with um, YouTube. You, name mm-hmm. the company, right? They're, they're um, significant milestones. But for me, where it's interesting is... The crisis stories. Mm-hmm. And Ed, Ed Catmull talks about this, that especially if your company has been around for a while, is new people join your company and they weren't part of the founding, mm-hmm. they don't feel a part of that. They're, they're definitely drawn to your company because mm-hmm. it's an interesting mm-hmm. story. But the shared experience, yep. they weren't there for the founding and they probably mm-hmm. weren't there for the significant story. Mm-hmm. But if you all are there when something goes wrong mm-hmm. and you had to learn from it, and we like to say there's um, like a bunker meta- mentality, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the military where you're there together yeah. and you get through mm-hmm. it. Then you now have a shared experience to mm-hmm. go from. Yeah. And, you know, failure is something that many people celebrate here. So what did you learn from that failure? For me, if you're going to, especially now where many people are speaking about millennials and the younger generation, if you're going to recruit and retain people, you have to have your North Star. You have mm-hmm. to have your future story because you're asking them to go on that journey with you mm-hmm. and to go on faith is one thing. To go on a vision is mm-hmm. another. 
right? Because yeah. you want to feel part of something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. There's so many questions that come up because I love what you're saying. Um, first is, let's go um, like yeah. backwards. Um, first is, how do you distinguish faith yeah. and vision? Right. How do you um, take that apart? Ah. And um, then another thing, I just want to get it out there so I hopefully don't forget it. Um, I think it's interesting that your approach has been um, uh, to uh, learn by doing, mm -hmm. do it yourself, get your first experiences, many experiences over mm -hmm. the years. And only after quite some time of doing it yourself, you decided to expose yourself to theories, mm -hmm. to um, best practices, mm -hmm. so to speak. And uh, I would also like you to maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, if you think that this is um, a very good approach mm -hmm. in general, or mm -hmm. maybe if it's just been the, the right approach for you. Mm -hmm. just, um, I, th I think it's interesting because nowadays, oftentimes it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Everybody exposes themselves to theory mm -hmm. and then they believe, mm -hmm. okay, that's how it's done. Mm -hmm. And they kind of miss out mm -hmm. uh, on uh, interesting other ways they could uh, walk on. So that's also something ah. that um, stuck with me. Okay, so I would say the difference between faith and vision is really thoughtful question. So I think it's a combination of both because the leaders that are expressing that vision They have to have faith. Yeah. And and I was having an interesting conversation with one of my old uh, directors who's on a uh, different mm -hmm. team now. Uh, at Apple? Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and we were just talking. Mm -hmm. And um, we were talking about leadership. And I said that I have been thinking a lot about leadership and that what, what do people want in leaders? And... Um, A friend of mine the other day added a fourth, which I love because mm -hmm. I like threes, but I'm, I'm going to give her <laughs> give her the fourth because she was brilliant. All right. So I would say one is vision and purpose. As a leader, you have to have the vision and purpose mm -hmm. and express it to your team. Mm -hmm. You also have to have a passion. It's one thing to have a vision and purpose, but if they don't feel your passion, if mm -hmm. they feel you're inauthentic mm -hmm. or they feel you're just going through the motions, mm -hmm. um, That's when there's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And then the third is air cover. If I'm going to take a risk for mm -hmm. you, if things don't work out, are you going to be there for me? Yeah. Or are you going to say, "Ooh, you screwed up. I screwed up. That's okay. Let's, let's figure out how, mm -hmm. how we can learn from it and then, and, and do it differently yeah. next time or do it the same, but maybe tweak it. Mm -hmm. But the fourth, my, my friend, she's so smart, said curiosity. Mm -hmm. have to have curiosity as a leader mm -hmm. because if you're constantly wondering the minute you think everything's all good is the minute you should start to worry mm -hmm. right so um so that was a bit of a tangential piece so vision versus faith was your original mm -hmm. question so definitely have to have faith but vision is maybe not for you Mm -hmm. It's for the people around you, whether it's your customer or your employee. Mm -hmm. They have to see your vision. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to go on faith. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they'll have the faith to go with you, but your faith isn't their faith. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm parsing here. Um, vision is, this is where we are now, and this is where I see mm -hmm. us going. Mm -hmm. And 
we're going to go on this journey together. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't know all the yeah. steps, but I know here and mm-hmm. I know I want to go there. Vision is more like a path. Yeah. While faith is just uh, um, a setting of beliefs or a yeah. um, collection of beliefs. Yeah. So I don't think you should necessarily decouple them. It's. Mm-hmm. A, it, I think it's an interesting discussion to talk about the differences. I, maybe I would argue that you need both. Uh, yeah. Um, especially in hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were many times when we were trying, you know, a, as we say, on the tightrope, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're trying very risky things and you have to have the faith yeah. that it'll be okay. Or if it's not, that um, your culture has the strength to endure it. Mm-hmm. And, and we had some of those um, where we were trying new things, um, going to new places. And um, because of our culture, mm-hmm. we were able to band together and do it because mm-hmm. we had the faith, I guess, mm-hmm. and because of the vision that, that mm-hmm. we would we would get there or we would at least try. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying. Now, your other question, can you remind me of it? Yeah. Be- before I will remind okay. you of it, I... Um, again, you provoked other questions. What I thought interesting is um, uh, when you talked about leadership, I guess, mm-hmm. um, I believe that everything you said about leadership mm-hmm. um, demonstrated that stories are ultimately about um, uh, forming a tribe. Yes. And as soon as you have formed a tribe, you're at, you've reached a point where uh, you have a culture that... Um, uh, that helps the tribe endure um, the hard times, taking risks. Yeah. So, um, would you say, um, are you in it with with me on, on yeah. that like conclusion that it's all about forming a tribe? And yeah, and, but tribes can change because tribal can be a very uh, loaded word too, okay. both negative and positive, right? Mm-hmm. You're part of my tribe. Oh, they're being very tribal, right? Mm-hmm. So that you're part of my tribe is kind of fun because it's inclusive. You're being mm-hmm. tribal can connote. Uh, uh, battle or, mm-hmm. yeah. or, uh, clashing. So I would say what I love is a phrase, um, tribal knowledge, mm-hmm. sharing knowledge mm-hmm. that we could both benefit from. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that. And, um, back to the idea of tribe, what, uh, we went, we both, um, were at an event the other day, uh, designers and geeks. Yes. And um, uh, Ko, she was from IDEO, you, she spoke about um, innovation is a group and invention is like a solo activity. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the tribe that you create and the innovation through Mm -hmm. collaboration that could happen, I I love that idea that when there's a tribe and there's a belief, Mm -hmm. a shared belief and maybe some faith, (laughs) maybe you don't have the funding yet or the Mm -hmm. product isn't made yet, Mm -hmm. but at least you have the faith that there's something worth Mm -hmm. uh, working toward, then then you are going to go through it together. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that answers your question. Yeah. And now the the other one that I've uh, posed before was um, your approach to learning yeah like your story oh right so i've been doing skills. it for many years and then why did i uh go back mm-hmm. why practical first first and then going to the theory yes. and not the other way around yeah. and is it like a, a general recommendation to go that yes. way or how do you think about it um 
Yes and no. Mm -hmm. So, um, how about yes and yes instead of yes and no? Because no is it? It's not no. Mm -hmm. Yes and yes. So, um, I would say you definitely want to study the masters, mm -hmm. and it's great when you're young mm -hmm. to be learning from others and hearing their experiences and maybe for example you want to be a doctor one day mm -hmm. and you know you're 16 years old so like me when i was that age i volunteered at, at my veterinarians um, and saw what it was to be a veterinarian and then um then learned what it took to become a veterinarian <laughs> very eye-opening um <laughs> But if you learn from the masters, first of all, you, you have a lot of um, experiences to learn from and different approaches. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there's um, a lot of, uh, what's the word? Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on a word. Mm -hmm. There's... Uh, you don't have a point of view yet, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it's so great to, in the case of what I did for many years is um, I traveled, I studied the masters, I took a lot of classes. And then um, I just threw myself in and, and gave it a go. And why I am now on the other side of my career and, and learning again is I started to feel like I needed to be knocked off my center a little bit mm -hmm. that I wanted to get to that uncomfortable space of learning again. Mm -hmm. yep. um, I had um, built a team and got so many great experiences traveling the world, meeting great people, great customers. But I got curious about, um, what were other ways people were approaching mm -hmm. storytelling? Mm -hmm. And so I started, um, you know, the Ted talk you mentioned mm -hmm. with Simon snack and, um, Nancy Duarte. And I wanted hands-on experience, not just the digital. Mm -hmm. I had been living digital life for so long. I yeah. wanted the counterpoint, the mm -hmm. analog, mm -hmm. And I'm very hands-on, very tactile. And there's something that happens human to human where the, um, you know, the back and forth. Mm -hmm. For example, email. Email is not a dialogue. Email no. is a series of monologues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they can get quite <laughs> passive-aggressive if you're not careful because there isn't tone. Yeah. You miss out on many dimensions that make up yes. communication. Yeah, and people don't understand sarcasm yeah. um, in your email, and um, that could get very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So what, what I love about the analog is what we're doing now, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're giving me insights by asking me questions, right? Um, so, so I was craving that. So I, uh, I would advocate always being curious. Mm -hmm. um, there's a phrase that they use um, at the Stanford D school where I went mm -hmm. for design thinking, um, the beginner's mind. And I'd like to think I always try 
to have the beginner's mind mm -hmm. when I'm taking a new class mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Can you tell a little bit more about what it is, the beginner's okay. mind for the listeners? So, so the beginner's mind, and I, I'll ask you to research this afterward. Absolutely. It's, it's uh, I believe, and you can edit this out, mm -hmm. but that, um, the beginner's mind, my understanding is, is out of uh, Zen Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And it's um, always coming to a situation with um, an open mind, no mm -hmm. pretense, mm -hmm. um, maybe not a solution, mm -hmm. th that there's a problem and you're going to think about it with new, new fresh ideas, mm -hmm. maybe not borrowing from history, um, mm -hmm. and maybe not having assumptions mm -hmm. um, and really being open to it could go one way, it could go another way. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's it's also, there, there's an open mindset as opposed to a closed mindset, or as as I heard someone say recently, a growth mindset. Yes. Where mm -hmm. you're going to grow mm -hmm. and learn instead of uh, be very um, tactical mm -hmm. and uh, only solutions and execution-based. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I used to like to say when um, someone came to me with something um, that I was concerned we wouldn't be able to do, or maybe I thought it wasn't something we should do, I'd say, I'm not saying no, I'm saying yes to a better solution. Oh, that's nice. And while that might sound cheeky, what I was trying to do is get to the deeper why. Why is it mm -hmm. that we wanted to do this? Mm -hmm. And were we considering not only the business need, but mm -hmm. the end user and what they needed to hear. It's, yeah, it's to me, it's somehow sounds like with the beginner's mind, you don't um, like look at a problem and uh, kickstart the, the search for a solution, but you take your time to actually reflect if the problem that you're looking at is if, actually the, the right problem to yes. look at. So you exactly. take, take more time to consider if you're actually looking at the right problem exactly. before um, uh, rushing your way to yeah. Maybe a not so reasonable direction. And I think that's why so many people like these um, true crime shows where mm -hmm. at first you think the murder was committed by one person, but the more they investigate, mm -hmm. it takes a different turn, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you take that, that beginner's mind stance, you're not going to... Here, here's a great example a friend of mine shared with me once is um, if you sit in that mindset you're going to approach a problem like a therapist instead mm -hmm. of a surgeon. Mm -hmm. A surgeon's going to yeah. go in and cut out the cancer, yeah. sew you up, send you on your mm -hmm. way. Whereas a therapist is going to say, tell me more. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about this? And then you go away and you think, and then you come back and the, you and yeah. the therapist are having more discussions. And it may take a little longer mm -hmm. to quote unquote cure you mm -hmm. or for you to feel like you're um, steady mm -hmm. and, can feel more confident again. Mm -hmm. um, but so, chances are you reach the real source of the issue and yes. not just the symptoms. And maybe you didn't even know what the problem yeah. was, mm -hmm. but it was through the talking that you say, wow, I didn't realize it was because I was still holding on to, you know, something that happened in my childhood or something yeah, like that. Yeah. My dad's a psychiatrist. So of course I'm going to use a, a mm -hmm. therapy um um, example there, but um, sitting in the problem and being mm -hmm. okay with 
it might be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It might be awkward. Um, you might actually have some difficult conversations, mm -hmm. but in the end, there's a solution that is better for the product, for mm -hmm. the customer, and for the person that's hearing mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's the employee or the customer. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing I would say is the, um, the piece around empathy. And that's something we use a lot in the Valley, you know, user-centered design mm -hmm. or uh, use empathy to understand. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about the word empathy And if I think empathy, I say, oh, poor Christian, I feel bad that he got lost. Mm -hmm. I would argue, is it compassion that you need? Because mm -hmm. compassion, if you heard Ko, when we were talking to her after yeah. the lecture the other day, she said how she has an employee who tries to fall in love. Yes, that was beautiful. With the customer mm -hmm. or the client. Yep. I love that so much. And I think that's why I think about compassion mm -hmm. instead of empathy. Yeah. Because compassion means you're moved to action and you want to do something mm -hmm. to help that person. Yes. I love that distinction because empathy is just, uh, I feel you. Yes. I know what's happening with you. Yes. But uh, compassion is has more uh, um, activating energy yes. to it. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's why I've gone from... You, Storytelling is so powerful when you are an NGO or you are um, uh, fundraising because you're telling a story and people want to give you money. And for the longest time, I would donate and that would make me feel better. And in the last year or so, things have changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And I realized that wasn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. So I started volunteering more. And I wanted to be with the people who needed my help and not mm -hmm. just do that guilty citizen. Oh, you know, here's, a here's my cash. <laughs> so I went from empathy to compassion in my mm -hmm. own life, you know, practice what you preach, I guess is what you could say, but I needed that. Mm -hmm. And I would argue I get more than I give mm -hmm. when I do that as well. So that, and that's, that's something else that, that, um, got me to the storytelling is I realized it's not only something I love to do, it's something I loved helping others to do. Mm -hmm. And while I was fine with kind of just having this gut check for how to tell a good story, mm -hmm. I was engaging with a lot of people that are very binary mm -hmm. and really needed to understand the framework I was taking them through. Mm -hmm. For example, I had uh, someone, he's, he's since left, and uh, he had come from a more conservative company. And then when mm -hmm. he came to us, I was working with him on a presentation, and uh, he had a lovely North Carolina accent. And he's like, Jan, if I had a conference and I was speaking like this and there were no words on the slide, no one would come. They'd wonder why they flew here. They need some, you know, meat. Facts. Some facts, you know, lots of words on the slide. And I mm -hmm. said, but you're there. You're the expert. You're mm -hmm. the one that's going to deliver that. And, and let's tell them a story. And then he and I got into a really great story um, conversation about he came from a sales background and he said, the best salesmen are storytellers. Mm -hmm. And I said, exactly. And that's this is why you're mm -hmm. you're going to. Do That's it this way, this. And, yeah. and we're going to strip all those words off the slides, and we're just going to have the absolute minimum amount of words that are necessary mm -hmm. to to have what people need, but also not compete with you mm -hmm. and, and your message. It's, it's like this perfect tension. So 
that's when I started to think about, okay, it's hard for me to articulate what it is I want them to, to go through. Mm-hmm. So I probably need to have a more formalized framework mm-hmm. to be able to have them go on the faith of going with yeah. me on the journey that we're going to make a good presentation mm-hmm. together. Like you need a framework so you, that you can actually have your multiplying effect of yeah. influencing others. They need it. Yeah. I don't. True. Yeah. They need I don't it. need it. They need it. And then also um, I'm a more circuitous, tangential mm-hmm. thinker. Mm-hmm. Others aren't. And um, I can wander and come back. Mm-hmm. Maybe others can't, and maybe that's not fair for me. Mm-hmm. So to to have a framework that they can feel comfortable in. So back to the compassion thing, like mm-hmm. have the compassion for the person that you're working with. Mm-hmm. So um, and then also just um, the beginner's mind always being the learner, not mm-hmm. the teacher. I think mm-hmm. it is is very humbling. So um, in a past life, I taught Photoshop, mm-hmm. and I would ask people at the beginning of the class to. To, to rate, are you a beginner? Are you an expert? I'd, I'd like to know. And I was always very uh, cautious with the ones who called themselves experts mm-hmm. because I thought, um, okay, are they going to be present? Are they going to want to learn? And are they going to be disruptive to the beginners who mm-hmm. are going to feel intimidated? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to be helpful? So what I did was, first of all, it was a gut check to, to notice who might be a challenge, but also I would pair them with the people who um, underrated themselves. Mm-hmm. So the people that call them experts overrated themselves. Mm-hmm. And then there were people who were um, very uh, hard on themselves. And so they mm-hmm. were underrating themselves. So I'd try and put them together yep. and rearrange the classroom mm-hmm. so that there could be the beginner and the teacher, mm-hmm. because maybe the teacher could be humbled a little and mm-hmm. slow down. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I was the, the big teacher, but in that relationship, um, I thought that was good to pair the so-called mm-hmm. expert with the so-called beginner mm-hmm. and, and then they could learn from each other. Mm-hmm. It's great that you take the conversation to that point because I wanted to ask a question in this direction. Um, so the importance of the beginner's mind, mm-hmm. you've outlined it very well. And um, But I thought all the time, um, everybody has assumptions. Everybody comes into yeah. a meeting or into a... Uh, a whatever, and already has kind of an idea where he wants to take it or where she wants to go with it. So, um, and now you brought it up. There's always those people who say they are the experts and those mm-hmm. who underrate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, over all those times that you've did this, have you found like um, a recipe or, um, or a process how you can um, uh, lead or take the experts mm-hmm to the beginner's mind, Mm -hmm. letting go of assumptions, letting go of their like need to feel like Mm -hmm. superior or how do you take this? Yeah. So this is where design thinking comes in handy. Um, So a lot of people know design thinking as a way to prototype, test, iterate a product. Mm-hmm. One of my big takeaways from design thinking was how do you change the dynamic of collaboration? Yeah. And there's two um, elements that um, they taught us in uh, the Stanford uh, D school executive boot camp, which I recommend for people to take. Um, there's, there's a free promotion for them. <laughs> um, one is the concept of posture. Mm-hmm. And the other is the concept of environment. Mm-hmm. So both my husband and I uh, have led and 
and lead um, design thinking workshops within our Mm -hmm. workplaces. And I'll give you two examples. One was um, where it didn't work and one was where it worked. So one thing you want to be mindful of is when you get very excited around design thinking or some new concept, but you're coming back into your company and they haven't experienced that. Mm -hmm. They're still who they are. Mm -hmm. You might be changed and super excited. Mm -hmm. And if you try and impose that new framework on them, they're going to say, um, can we just get back to work Mm -hmm. or just kind of shut you out? Mm -hmm. And so I experienced that with someone who came back super excited and they had the sticky notes and the Sharpies Mm -hmm. and the boards and we're going to do this. And it almost felt like, um, in America, like what we call summer camp, right? Mm -hmm. Yay. You have to understand what those people need out of it too. Mm -hmm. So what I learned was that's all great. And it's very exciting. We're, we're going to collaborate with sticky notes and Sharpies and, um, come up with fun ideas. What I did was um, when I had a workshop, I would make sure to get to the room very early. Mm-hmm. I would have nice music playing. I'd maybe turn down the lights a little bit. I'd have um, a welcome slide mm-hmm. or, you know, just mm-hmm. say welcome. I made sure they had everything they needed. So mm-hmm. the water, the the notebook, their table, uh, we call it table tent, the, you know, their name sign. Yeah. So that the minute they walk in, it's frictionless. Mm-hmm. It's they can already tell it's going to be fun because meetings not always fun, right? Yes. It's you're too busy. There's another thing mm-hmm. to do. Instead, make this something for them to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So that's the environment, and then the posture is humility, mm-hmm. being humble, understanding they might not want to be there, but maybe you can help them make it the least stressful event of the day and Mm -hmm. hopefully maybe even a little interesting thought provoking and fun. Mm -hmm. So one thing I learned with posture was, especially with maybe um, folks who are executives or very busy is start by asking what they know, Mm -hmm. what they hope for Mm -hmm. before you start at all. Mm -hmm. Get it out of the way so they can let it all out, be the expert for a a couple of minutes and then. Well, also, how about they probably have something really important to say. And if all you're doing is presenting to them, Mm -hmm. but you didn't ever ask them what they wanted or what they needed or what they thought. Mm -hmm. And they're probably the person that gave you the request to begin with. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're also checking, oh gosh, am I a little off? And you have a mm-hmm. little time to kind yeah. of rejigger what mm-hmm. you were going to present to them yeah. too. Start by um, getting everybody on the same page. Yeah. By yep. letting them speak. And showing some humility. The other thing when you talk about posture and environment is if you have everyone standing and mm-hmm. there isn't someone in front of the room, I am the expert, and then mm-hmm. you're all sitting, accept mm-hmm. the extreme extrovert that person standing at the front of the room is nervous and feeling like everyone's judging them and all the people at the sitting around are hoping gosh i hope this is worth my time so there's Mm -hmm. already this kind of icky tension Mm -hmm. so if everyone's standing and there's music and maybe even have a little bit of food for me it's always about the food have a little (laughs) food because the social um element Mm -hmm. at the beginning and in many other cultures around the world breaking bread as they say yeah is very important before you start the negotiation. So what one of my favorites that 
was done successfully is I had realized from other workshops we had done, there was kind of a cold start, or as they mm -hmm. say in theater, cold open. Yep. And what I realized was I had a workshop and the night before I took everyone to dinner. Mm -hmm. They didn't know each other. Mm -hmm. And so over a nice meal, they all got to know each other. There were some commonalities and the tribe was formed so that mm -hmm. the next morning they were all kind of rooting for each other to, to succeed. They had already met me. So there wasn't this awkward tension of, gosh, I mm -hmm. hope, I hope this is going to be worth my time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the person that we were doing the project for, she came in and just shared her thoughts in a, in a more informal way. And so um, I would argue that you should probably learn those things as much as the design thinking process of empathy, create, mm -hmm. you know, prototype, ideate, all of those are very important elements, but think about designing the experience as well. Yeah, that's very important. Um, something that I would like to jump to now, we're already getting into it, is um, the storytelling on a corporate level. Yeah. And um, uh, it's hard enough to find your own story yeah. for your own life. Um, uh, how do you manage to get a, a large group of people, mm -hmm. let's say in a company or an NGO, um, mm -hmm. to, um, to, uh, to create a unifying story? How, how does a group find... Mm -hmm. um, its story? Uh, that's a good question. So if I could back out of a, a little bit, sure. you just reminded me of something. So um, a friend of ours asked us to help another friend who was uh, developing a pitch deck for, um, uh, she was going to ask um, venture capitalists to fund. So she, she had learned that she needed a pitch deck and she already had her team assembled. And she took us through it and she was told, this is the way to do the pitch deck. And at the end, I said to her, who are you? Why do I want to give you money? There was nothing in the deck about you mm -hmm. and your passion and why you even thought of this to begin with. Because at the end of the day, there's a contract we're going to enter. And as an investor, I'm, I may mentor you. I may give you more money. But we're going to be hanging out for a while. So yeah. I want to know why you, mm -hmm. because the world is full of people who have that next great idea. Mm -hmm. So I asked her to think back and where she could add herself. And she said, well, that wasn't in the depth. That's not how I was told to do it. And I said, I'd like to have you think about that because if you were pitching to me, mm -hmm. I'm not feeling that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And I think, you start with the emotion, mm -hmm. so the head and the heart. Yeah. Um, so that's the the individual. So mm -hmm. I would say, as a group, maybe you go through the exercise, and this is me off the cuff, mm -hmm. um, of giving everyone a little homework mm -hmm. ahead of time and asking them what they're most excited about with this venture you're going mm -hmm. on, why they started, mm -hmm. and where they'd like to go. Right. So those past, current, and future mm -hmm. kind of stories I was telling you earlier. Yeah. And so everyone can share those stories and you do an exercise of capturing them mm -hmm. and, and seeing where their capturing commonalities are. Graphically with uh, like saying, this is where we're going. This is like we, you described before. Oh, you before, can chart it. I would some... say at first. So um, another, another thing you do in design thinking is what's called flare and focus. So you mm -hmm. just get all the stories out. Mm -hmm. 
And you maybe do them on sticky notes or everyone has their own little mm -hmm. moment to write. And then you start to cluster them by theme. Okay. And then what is the story you want to tell? It doesn't have to be linear, beginning, mm -hmm. middle, and end. It could be end, beginning, then middle, mm -hmm. right? So you figure out whatever that narrative is that the audience needs to hear. So I would say first start with your stories and then understand what it is the audience needs. Mm -hmm. So do your research on that audience. Mm -hmm. um, and don't think you have to do so much preamble either because they're very busy people too. So yeah. what do they already know? Mm -hmm. And where can you add the emotional elements as well? Mm -hmm. That's a, I like that you bring in the emotions because you already mentioned Koi uh, from IDEO yeah. that we met, met uh, at this uh, event. Yes. And she said, and I love that line, um, data lets you know, yes. stories let you feel. Exactly. And she said it so perfectly. So perfectly, yeah. So that's that's where we're going. And um, what I also found interesting is that for a company to um, create a story, you said it's not only an internal thing, mm -hmm. um, but you also have to focus on what does the audience actually want to hear. Yeah. So it's um, balancing both. What kind of story do employees um, want to stand behind, but also what story kind of yes. has a chance of success. Well, and, and this is a conversation I've been having with people lately. Um, if I, I were to say it's there's something I have experience doing, I wouldn't want to say I'm an expert. I, I'd never want to put myself there. I'm still learning, especially, do you know this is the first time in the history of the world that five generations are all working? Yeah, I've, um, I've read about that. So these are five people who all are motivated in different ways. Mm -hmm. So what you may need to hear versus what I may need to hear are mm -hmm. different. But at the end of the day, emotions are where you can reunite, unite mm -hmm. um, people. So I wouldn't be such a slave to... Um, demographics and here's our persona um if you think about some of the campaigns that go viral mm -hmm. it isn't was for just one demographic that yeah. it went viral right and what's funny is how it works on social media where maybe my nephew will pass something around and like a month later my grandmother you know <laughs> yeah true would, would get it because i have mm -hmm. a 102 year old grandmother right wow um Five generations, right? And so, um, and that's great too, because that means that story still has the power mm -hmm. that it wasn't just this moment in time or a meme, as we like to say, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if, if you take that apart, it probably has a really great beginning, middle, and end or beginning, middle, future, because um, it's not ending. And so you can unite everyone around that. And then um, the idea around... The best stories are story with data. Mm -hmm. So if you have a story with a few data points, that's how you remember the data points, mm -hmm. right? And there is science behind stories and that you remember things 22% more than you would without a story. Mm -hmm. So the science, the data point about story is you should tell a story, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But back to your original question, which was it's um actually I think we can also jump to um to another point. We just talked about that it's we shouldn't take uh, pay too much attention on uh, splitting stories to different demographics and um, and that we were talking about the unifying forces mm -hmm. of stories. And what I would like to ask you is, um, you've worked for a, a global company mm -hmm. um, with a huge uh, range of um, or, or a huge reach mm -hmm. um, regarding different countries, cultures, demographics. Yeah. Um, how do you do um, storytelling on such a scale, right. on a global scale? Yeah, I've been fortunate that I've worked for numerous Fortune 500s and also for nonprofits. And um, I also have a past in uh, children's books mm -hmm. um, on the design side. And so what I would say is two things. One is, are you authentic? Mm -hmm. And two, is there a truth? It's one thing to come up with amazing marketing copy about a product. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about a person, bullet points, feeds and speeds, you're talking about a human, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where people connect with you is around that authenticity and, and the journey you've taken. Mm -hmm. And maybe a journey they're going to go on with you, or they hope to, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's a journey of that product, but they're they're buying the promise, right? Mm -hmm. And so how you can cut across cultures is um, what is your culture and how can you transfer it in a respectful way, but one that's still true to you? Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, in the U.S., we have the Peace Corps. And I'd like to think, well, commerce is not the Peace Corps. You are someone that has deep functional expertise and you're going to another country to help that country. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to that country to turn it into mm -hmm. America. Yeah. You're going there to help them in a humble way mm -hmm. with your expertise to make their lives better mm -hmm. for them. So I like to think of when you're telling stories to other cultures, you don't want to change what's true to you and morph it to that culture, but you want to be respectful of that culture. So there's certain things you can uh, be mindful of. For example, sports metaphors. So in the U.S., if you say hit it out of the park, mm -hmm. that's a baseball metaphor. Mm -hmm. And outside of Latin America, Japan and the U.S. and a it little bit of work. Canada... Does someone in Germany or Switzerland care about baseball? Or are you going to start to chip away at that connection you have with them? Because mm -hmm. already they're, they're thinking, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So you've already removed them from that um, from the, moment. From the main storyline. And maybe even being caught up mm -hmm. in this great story. They're like, wait a minute, what is that? And so they're, they've been taken out mm -hmm. of that magical moment. So be, be mindful of, are you sharing stories in a way that, you are compassionate to your mm -hmm. audience and what they need, um, but still being true to yourself. So if you were to take um, the other question you asked, I think the 
best thing you can do is get the hearts and minds of your employees first mm-hmm. and get them behind the vision and that journey and that story that you're trying mm-hmm. to tell. And then they are your face of your brand and yep. they're helping you evangelize because they feel it and they love it mm-hmm. as much as you do. And then in turn, the customer is going to love it as well. So companies that aren't mindful of their employees being an audience mm-hmm. are missing a key component in connection to that customer. Mm-hmm. That's, um, uh, that um, leads to a mix of two questions that mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you. And it's um, on the one hand, it's this, um, uh, how do you uh, get the balance right between mm-hmm. um, you need some kind of standardization mm-hmm. or some a unifying force mm-hmm. when you're telling a story. That's basically mm-hmm. the idea to, to right. unite people. So there are some um, yeah. standardization, standardization uh, um, motivations behind telling a story. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, um, uh, it has to be personal so yes. that everybody can stand behind it, yes. maybe for different reasons. Yes. Um, that's one question. How do you balance the, um, like, mm-hmm. The standards and the, the personal, sure. and then we can go to um, a follow-up question, which will be: How do you um, communicate mm-hmm. um, internally mm-hmm. and then externally? Right. Because those are very two different yeah. things. So, um, how do you balance it first? So first, I would say back to Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, start with the why. Mm-hmm. If you say the what and the how, or the how and the what but you don't say the why, especially younger generations that are working Mm -hmm. or younger customers that are maybe thinking about purchasing. Mm -hmm. Why you? And you didn't tell them. Mm -hmm. It's a very competitive landscape out there. And many people make purchases based on impulse or intuition Mm-hmm. So if you're leaving that emotional component on the table, mm-hmm. then that's probably why they're not connecting with you. The other thing that's really interesting with social media, it used to be, and I'm simplifying this, it used to be your billboard, your magazine, your ad was pushing out to the customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now with social media and websites, the customer wants to have a dialogue with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are you mindful that it's going out, but also maybe coming back, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. how do you how do you navigate that? And I would say authentic stories. Mm-hmm. You can't ever, my husband and I talk about this, you can't ever dispute how someone feels. Now you might not agree with how they feel, mm-hmm. but you have to acknowledge they're feeling something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, you may have to have a conversation. Or, I'm sorry you, you felt that way. That's not mm-hmm. what I intended. Mm-hmm. But they are feeling something, mm-hmm. and they have every right to feel that. Now, back to the, the other question of employees and customers, I'd say it's exactly the same. Okay. I would say don't make the distinction because that's where you get that word just, and I hate the word just. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just the employee. That's not, that's not good. We only need to do, you know, any mm-hmm. kind of um, hedging language or discounting mm-hmm. language that somehow they deserve less than the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they worked for you. 
because they they liked your product, I would hope. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just did it for a job and learned to really understand Mm -hmm. and like your vision. But they were probably your fanboys and fangirls, (laughs) as as we say. Um, So you should be engaging with them exactly how you engage with a customer. Mm -hmm. And you're probably learning from them what works and what doesn't work before you put it out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully you're having town halls with your employees. Hopefully you're having... Uh, roundtable discussion, something where you're getting that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you say that has to be on a weekly basis, monthly basis, or just what do you what do you think feels right as a feedback loop? It, it's funny you say that because um, I've I've gone around and around about this, and what I'd say is find out what they need. Mm-hmm. Because in the case of there's a corporate headquarters and then there's offices around the world, Mm -hmm. or maybe there's a corporate headquarters and then stores around the world. As a leader, you might think they need to hear from you a lot. Mm -hmm. They may have their own really robust culture and their so-called leader is their direct manager. Mm -hmm. And what you don't want to do is leapfrog over that and disrespect that. And Mm -hmm. somehow that manager Mm -hmm. in that particular location is, um, no longer seen as the leader. Mm -hmm. However, they want to hear the vision from Mm -hmm. you and your company. And if you don't, Mm -hmm. what is the radio silence and why aren't you speaking Mm -hmm. to them? Are they not valuable enough? Mm -hmm. So I'd say find out what that culture is you're trying to reach and what they need to hear Mm -hmm. from you and how often they need to hear. Mm Because in some cases, they might think it's too much. In other cases, they might think it's not enough. And at what point do they need to hear from you? Do they need to hear from you when there's a big change? Chances are they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in different countries, you know, uh, there's contracts and things like that, whether you need to share or not share and how you need Mm -hmm. to share. Um, So definitely be mindful of cultures, laws, but also cultural traditions. So um, as I said earlier in America, we kind of have this Daniel Boone, rugged individualist, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't need a lot to get started. And in others, they need time to process. They maybe want to ask questions before they have to be pushed to that change. Mm -hmm. So I would say be mindful of that. So to wrap up, I'd say your customer and your employer are the same. Mm -hmm. I guess um, still you need some like time difference. Mm -hmm. I guess you don't want to like announce a product at this um, to the customers at the same time as you do to your... Sometimes you have to, especially in the valley. valley. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to, especially in the valley, when it's very competitive here and things are very secretive. So mm-hmm. sometimes the employee hears at the same time as the customer. Oh, okay. And that's where you have the promise and the faith, mm-hmm. right? That it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that employee is as excited as that customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could name countless ways that's happened in the valley where the, co- the employee is just finding out at the same time Mm -hmm. as a customer. But in the ideal situation, maybe if there's change management or something that's going to be different, Mm -hmm. ideally you'd want the employee to learn, have some time to think about it, ask questions, and then get ready for the customer. Mm -hmm. Um, That that would be a a great solution as well. So I, I guess it depends because sometimes if the customer finds out ahead of time and you're not ready, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not great, but at the same time, if, if it leaks, the magic isn't there. Yeah, everybody's on the same page. Then everyone knows. Yeah. And then um, 
your story wasn't told in the way you wanted it to be told because someone else told it for you Yeah, because it leaked, mm -hmm. you know, a factory, um, shared a photo or, mm -hmm. or, or, um, yeah, you we know, all someone know. hacked your servers, mm -hmm. you know, like in Hollywood mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. We all know those leak stories, especially yeah. with iPhones or whatever. And um, everyone's being hacked now. Yeah. The government, everyone. So, um, I would say, uh, that maybe that's even more reason to think about knowing the story you want to tell, mm -hmm. because wouldn't it be great if it leaked and it's exactly how you want that story to be <laughs> yeah. told. And then you get all that free mm -hmm. press. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm not one to say leak. God mm -hmm. knows I'm not saying that, but, um, maybe, uh, you get some positive mm -hmm. press out of, out of, um, a memo that an employee mm -hmm. shares about a, a, yeah. a company. So. It's, um, uh, I think it was Obama who once said that um, every email or whatever you write should you should always be fine with uh, with this message appearing on the front page of the New York Times. That's perfect way to say that. Um, I think that sums up um, mm -hmm. the issue very well because you have to assume that at some point something is going to leak, and you and at that point you're. Um, um, your employees mm -hmm. better be happy or excited about what yep. they are doing yeah. because otherwise you're getting Yeah, and maybe press. it's not leak. Maybe it's you accidentally sent something to the wrong person. Yeah. Um, good. And, you know, there's a great phrase I learned, assume positive intent. Yes. I would say if I could share anything, that's probably the best way to move forward mm -hmm. in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. Just assume positive intent that they didn't intend mm -hmm to be uh, damaging. They didn't intend to be malicious. Mm -hmm. um, and then find out, say, help me understand mm -hmm. why why you did that, why that happened. Mm -hmm. It's actually very interesting because um, in another episode of this podcast, I've talked to um, uh, a friend at Facebook and mm -hmm. he told me the exact, uh, exact same thing. Um, start with the assumption of positive intent yes. because it leads to more constructive conversations yes, and, and, and mm -hmm. exactly yes. And conversation and not mm -hmm. yes, but, and yeah. then you look for issues why it won't work. And that's so. the closed mindset instead yes. of the growth mindset. And that just for people, if they want to understand uh, more about the closed mindset versus the open mindset, there's a Ted talk with um, a professor, Carol Dweck. Perfect. Um, and she talks about uh, also not yet, right? Mm -hmm. Like the idea of you're not failing. You're just not, not yet, yet there. there. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, so um, rewiring yourself to have a positive mindset, I would mm -hmm. say too. And that's been a lot of work for me personally, yeah. because I come from um, a family, from a culture, whatever, um, where maybe it's not always assumed positive intent. Mm -hmm. Um that it's, oh, what happened? Mm -hmm. <gasps> How okay. are we going to get out of it, right? It's like an evolutionary reaction. Mm -hmm. When something goes wrong, it's the... Um, Fight or flight. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so that's your natural inclination. So what can you do to rewire yourself? And, and you were talking about your gratitude journal, which mm -hmm. I love. And that's something I started to do is even on the hardest day, can you think of three things that were awesome that happened that day? Yeah. Even if it's someone held the door open for you or um, you ate something that tasted really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's always something you can be very positive about. Even if it's the worst circumstances, if someone said a kind word, mm -hmm. it, it, 
you you have to find three things. Mm-hmm. Or maybe traffic was a little better that day. Yeah. In LA, where it's always <laughs> bad, maybe that day it was five minutes less. Right? <laughs> yeah. So the the half full versus the half empty mm-hmm. glass, right? Yeah. So um, uh, I'm loving this conversation, and slowly, um, uh, I would say we're going to come to an end. Yes. You've already um, <laughs> spent yeah. a lot of time with me, which is yeah. great. I love it. Um, so I would like to um, kind of enter the last okay. chapter. Um, during the whole conversation, you already um, gave many tips of what kind of TED Talks people can mm-hmm. watch or books they can mm-hmm. read if they want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess many people do want to learn more because um, mm-hmm. what you've said is has um, been very exciting and I mm-hmm. think um, uh, got the attention of many people. So that's what the last chapter of this conversation okay. is about. Um, if they are interested in the whole storytelling thing, mm-hmm. communication, um, how can they get into it, um, get started with it, mm-hmm. or um, however. So it's about learning. And um, uh, something that I always like to, um, a way how I like to think about things is the 80-20 rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, um, Pareto efficiency and uh, stuff like that. And what it basically means is, how do you get to 80% of your results mm-hmm. uh, or goals mm-hmm. by 20% of the effort yeah. because the idea is the last 20% will take up 80% of your efforts mm-hmm. um, to achieve and um, yes, the rule. yeah so let me like um, uh, rephrase it for your situation um, um, if you were a beginner and you would like to reach 80% of a professional's mm-hmm. level with only 20% of the time a pro mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. Um, we might think of a scenario where um, the two of us have one week together, mm-hmm. um, can spend maybe two hours every evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so not, en- not enough yeah. time mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to get it done. But mm-hmm. um, what would you focus on mm-hmm. um, telling me, teaching me, or what I should think about, mm-hmm. what I should read, or just... How would you approach that? So I'd say two things. One, I'd say go inward first. Mm-hmm. Um, think about your stories. Mm-hmm. Think about the framework I was talking about. What's your origin story? What are your signature stories, crisis stories, and your mm-hmm. future story? Mm-hmm. Um, and think of yourself as the startup, right? And, yeah. and how are you going to pitch yourself? Because in many cases, that's how the power of persuasion works is through the power of your personality or your stories Mm -hmm. or your knowledge, you're going to get someone to get on board with you. Um, So I'd say go inward first. And then conversely, I'd say be the data point is the phrase I like Mm -hmm. to say. So yes, the TED talks, yes, the business books, yes, the classes. But for me, and we were talking about this before this podcast, serendipity. Yeah. The journey and the journey with a loose plan, but not an exacting plan. Mm -hmm. So definitely taking a trip. You're going to go to San Francisco. Maybe you looked into a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've decided you want to see the redwood trees, the Golden Gate Bridge. I would say leave yourself time for serendipity. Mm -hmm. Get lost, literally. Not get lost like get out of here, but (laughs) get lost. Take a wrong turn. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to need other people to help you mm-hmm. to get 
where you need to go, or maybe they invite you in mm -hmm. and now you have a new friend and you're getting a new story. And there's something about traveling by yourself, even if it's, you have to go to a meeting and you get lost and you get out and ask someone for directions. There's an opportunity there to learn mm -hmm. something and really get to know someone. So I have so many great stories like that of how I got lost traveling and um, how someone helped me and I got mm -hmm. a friend out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so it forces you to be in an open mindset and vulnerable. And that's yeah. something else I haven't talked about as a leader. One of the best things you could do is tell a crisis story that you mm -hmm. had in your life yeah. because the minute you show vulnerability, someone can relate to you. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you're looking for those kinds of stories and, and the valley's filled with them, um, read up on people who literally crashed and burned and came out of it mm -hmm. um, and came back stronger. Um, so many of these serial entrepreneurs here, their first, second or third company was a failure. Yeah. And they learned from it. Um, so I would say learn from them, but also learn from yourself because nothing beats an authentic story and an authentic experience. And someone taught me a really interesting technique recently that if you're going to tell someone about your skills and your experience and you know what you can bring to that company or that product, if you start with, instead of you know a bulleted list, mm -hmm. you start with the phrase, I remember when. Yeah. Think about that. So now you're going to go into a story. Mm -hmm. My favorite podcast lately is um, Masters of Scale. Yes. With Reed Hoffman, Reed Hoffman. Yeah. the co-founder of uh, LinkedIn. And he interviews people. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a great one with Sheryl Sandberg. And I just listened to one with Brian Chesky, who's the co-founder of Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And they all tell amazing stories. And there's failure, there's success, there's scaling, there's all kinds of lessons out of it. Mm -hmm. But there's often uh, a vulnerability in the story that they didn't know something or they were humbled by something mm -hmm. and, and how they learned from it. And they, as they say in the valley, maybe they pivoted from it, yeah. right? So I would say, uh, make sure you have your own experiences as well. So I remember helping to interview um, some MBA mm -hmm candidates once and I was so looking forward to meeting um, a woman mm -hmm. her resume was amazing mm -hmm. it was the most boring hour of my life <laughs> she didn't have her stories mm -hmm. so I tried to get some out of her and that's when it was amazing mm -hmm. is when I asked her to explain to me a time that she experienced a certain interaction mm -hmm. and that's when finally it went from bullet points mm -hmm. to a real human mm -hmm. with real needs and she gave a great insight as a result but my lord that first 45 minutes mm -hmm. or so I was like oh that's um I would say that's um a sign of um being insecure when you try to stick with um like the common path. Yes. And as soon as you reveal personal stories, yep. we're back to this vulnerability yep. aspect again. And I would say, if you worry too much about being part of the tribe, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. And you're worried about fitting in too much. Mm -hmm. When, when I was building a team and hiring people, I had a VP at the time. who's very funny. And he said, think about when you're interviewing people, say to yourself, if I'm on a long layover, at mm -hmm. an airport and I've got about four or five hours with this person and I, am I going to want to be with them? That's good. That's right. Good. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Think about 
unbelievably qualified, great. Mm -hmm. As far as experiences and skills, at the end of the day, there's an EQ. Have you heard about EQ? Emotional intelligence. What is it that you bring? And I had a young designer ask for advice recently. And he said, what what advice would you give a young designer? And I said, be interesting. Mm-hmm. And your experiences should not be borrowed. That's not you seeing a video or reading mm-hmm. a story on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That's you having the experience yeah. and then sharing it. Mm-hmm. So digital is amazing. And I love all my products. I love <laughs> all my social media platforms. It helps me keep up with the world. I need to go out and and create some yeah. experiences as well so absolutely and um you, this was kind of a to-do list or just yeah. things that you um, recommend to do mm-hmm. and um i'm a great fan of tim ferris um mm-hmm. who does an amazing podcast and yeah. um he also has this idea of um let's think of a not to-do list mm. what are the things that you definitely should not do yes. and you have so many years of experience mm-hmm. looking back what are the things that you believe? Um, those are things that I recommend people just not to do. Save time yeah. and focus on something else. I actually would take it a little bit higher. All right. And I'd say make sure you have um, time to have boredom. Because mm-hmm. boredom is where creativity happens. Yeah. So maybe leave your your smartphone or your uh, whatever your digital wearable is of the day. Mm-hmm. Your, whatever screen it is that you're used to having, forget it intentionally or accidentally and just maybe wander down a road and be a little bored and your mind wanders. I would argue that's where the best ideas happen. Mm-hmm. So now my husband and I were talking about what's that only time left anymore? It's in the shower. Yeah. And how many times someone had a great idea on a shower? I know I worked for someone where we were like, oh, he was in the shower again. Here we go. <laughs> he had such great ideas. And he would say, I thought of this in mm-hmm. the shower. So how many more shower moments can you have? Yeah. And one of my things I regret maybe is having, um, I thought I was so smart by moving very close to work. Mm-hmm. And I realized I didn't have any boredom time. Mm-hmm. The time I enjoyed being on the train, getting to work, mm-hmm. looking out the window and just thinking. Mm-hmm. And seeing things like a beautiful tree, mm-hmm. um, I had I had uh, engineered it in such a way that I didn't have any boredom, <laughs> any downtime. Yeah, so, yeah, and no time to decompress coming home mm-hmm. either. So, my favorite thing to do lately is take a train instead of driving. Yeah, and um, my husband will do business down in Southern California, mm-hmm. and. For no reason at all, I will take the train to meet him. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I've come up with every great product the world should have driving <laughs> down or taking the train down or just wandering mm-hmm. uh, in my mind, taking a journey, mm-hmm. you know, looking out the window and having the most amazing discussions with people. I met a lovely young gentleman who had the most difficult childhood, went to the military. And then um, graduated and had his, uh, I think they still call it the GI Bill, but where you get money to go to school. Mm -hmm. And he had fallen in love with um, the culinary arts because growing up, 
he was always hungry mm-hmm. and food was just a thing to have. And then when he traveled the world, he realized food was this amazing thing. And he was so obsessed with food. He was buying every cookbook and learning about every chef. And he was um, an apprentice here mm-hmm. with a, a, a very successful restaurant and learning. And he couldn't wait to be a chef one day. Mm-hmm. And we talked for probably two hours and I was so inspired by him. He was getting off the train and he was still a reserve. So he had to go back mm-hmm. on um, yeah. on the base. And I, I thought, wow. I would have never met him mm-hmm. if I was driving. Yeah. And and I would say that's for me the favorite is is having a bank of stories. Mm-hmm. Not only of your own but others. Mm-hmm. Think of um It's a library. It's a library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if if you think about the state of the union address in in the United mm-hmm. States and how Obama would tell his stories or even previous presidents, they would give the example of a citizen mm-hmm. and what that citizen in the world did mm-hmm. and how they were inspired by them or how they want to help them do better. Yeah. Right. Instead of just data points about we will increase the budget by and these many people mm-hmm. will benefit because of if you bring it, the best companies have a huge number mm-hmm. and then contextualize it with a data point for one person. Yeah. Make it relatable. Exactly. Um, I think we've come full circle. <laughs> we, uh, we started with, um, a story of you going on a journey yes. to, the, to the Czech Republic, yes. and I guess what you would like to leave the would like to leave the audience with yes. is um, go on a journey, yes. get lost, wander around. Beginner's mind. Beginner's mind. Yes. Always and learn. Always learn. And try. Don't worry about failing. Just yeah. try, try, try. And and the last thing I'll say is um, there's a great. Uh, banner, well, a series of great banners they have at the Stanford D School. And one is the only way to do it is to do it. Yeah. And with that, I would say, <laughs> let's do it. Okay. Thank you so much, Jen, sure. for your time. I very much appreciated it. It was Thank great. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. This is it, dear listeners. You've reached the end of this inspiring conversation with Jennifer Greenwood. To catch all the books and videos mentioned in this episode, please visit my blog where you'll find it all. It's sparker.ch blog. Once again, sparker.ch blog. Besides links to this episode's content, You also find other episodes of the Sparker podcast where I'll talk to outstanding people and organizations and dig deep to unveil their insights, mindsets and factors of success. For example, you can learn why Facebook's culture is its ultimate performance hack, according to Timo, who I could interview right at Facebook's headquarters in Menlo Park. Or in one of the upcoming episodes, I'll talk to a super successful business angel who's invested in multiple unicorns. His track record is simply astonishing and amazing. With him, I'll talk about his approach to risk, how his investing process works, or what major shifts he sees coming up in the future. So make sure to subscribe to the Sparker podcast in iTunes so you won't miss this next episode coming out soon. With all that said, 
Be a beginner again. Enrich people's lives with great stories and inspire the world around you. Have an amazing day and we'll see each other again when the next episode of the Sparker podcast arrives. <laughs>